Welcome to the Wantrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast, your source for everything you need to go from unfocused wantrepreneur to action-taking, money-making entrepreneur. Now, your host, Brian Lofermento. Hey there, and welcome to this Featured Friday episode of the Wantrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. I am particularly excited about today's episode because once again, I'm featuring an interview with an entrepreneur that I had the pleasure and honor of interviewing a couple of summers ago for the IM, that's Internet Marketing Summit, and this guy is maybe the most interesting entrepreneur that I've ever interviewed. Now, I considered breaking this interview up into two separate parts because it is a bit on the long side. This episode, I mean, you know about it by the time that you see it, but it's around an hour-long episode, but I promise it's worth every single second because I'm interviewing Ty Wynn, who's an entrepreneur from Australia, and he's incredible. He's a peak performance coach. He's a speaker. He's been a professional chef, specializing in nutrition-rich menus. He's been a personal trainer and an international kickboxer. How cool is that? And now he's getting his master's in psychotherapy in order to provide his clients a holistic approach to succeeding in every aspect of life, not just business. But Ty really caught my eye, and I reached out to him because this is a guy who is everywhere online. He's been featured in Forbes, in Entrepreneur, in the Huffington Post, you name it. He's interviewed guys like Guy Kawasaki, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Mark Cuban, one of the billionaires from Shark Tank, Noah Kagan, Gary Vaynerchuk, who I know a lot of people have heard of. Ty has interviewed all of these people And he himself has been featured in Forbes and Entrepreneur and all these different places. So I dive deep with him in this interview. I dive deep to figure out how the heck he has built such a strong online presence where he is everywhere. How the heck has he, how has he built this credibility for himself online to the point where Mark Cuban responds to his emails? So I dive deep with Ty. So if you are an entrepreneur and you want to know how the heck other people get featured in Huffington Post and Forbes and Entrepreneur and how they build these crazy connections and how they get credibility when they don't necessarily have firm credentials like a portfolio or case studies, then you are going to love today's episode because Ty brings the heat in this and I can't wait to dive into my interview. So I won't say anything more because I introduce Ty in the interview and then we dive right into it. So without further ado, this is my Featured Friday interview with Ty Wynn. Hey there, everyone. My name is Brian Lofermento. I am the 2015 I Am Summit host, and I am thrilled to have you at yet another session of this year's summit. Today, we're joined by Ty Wynn, coming all the way from across the world, and he is a peak performance coach, speaker, and lifestyle entrepreneur. Having been a professional chef specializing specializing in nutrition-rich menus, a personal trainer, and an international kickboxer, an interesting combo that we'll dive into. Ty is now completing a master's in psychotherapy in order to provide his clients a holistic approach to succeed in every aspect of life. He's a contributor for the Huffington Post and Entrepreneur, and we are so glad to have you here, Ty. Hey, man. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. So you're joining us all the way from Australia, aren't you? I am from the land down under. So I'm, I'm in the the future compared to that's always been one thing that's blown a lot of people away is that Australia's always quite a few hours ahead 
<laughs> that is interesting. But and it also officially makes you the farthest away I am Summit speaker for most of us in the United States. <laughs> hey, I'll take that title. <laughs> All right, so let's just dive right in. That's that's a really interesting bio. You've done a lot already in your life, so many diverse things. Tell us about what you do. I think overall, I just, I think first and foremost, I like to call myself just a writer. But even in that, uh, having those different elements of, that's kind of my major vehicle for bringing these elements of, of peak performance coaching, of, of just providing and being more of a catalyst for people and consulting and, and, and coaching. But, you know, I think that's part of my personality that I've never wanted to tie myself into, into one label. But overall, it's just this element of equipping people, inspiring people, leading them towards being the best version of themselves. So th that would basically be it. All right, great. So tell us a little bit about the Utopian Life, your blog. Yeah, that'd be one of my major platforms that I, my home, online home base. But it is all about just taking elements of psychology, taking the, the practicality and, and meshing that and finding the crossroad between all of these things. I like to talk about things that touch on existentialism but tie that together with uh, pragmatism, things that are maybe a little bit spiritual but mix that with science. And so, again, it's all about bringing this holistic intellectual approach to articles as well. It's, it's not just trying to tap into what I think is trending or what I think is, is buzzing at the moment, but trying to hit on those bases, which I think we're all trying to strive after, you know, these, these bigger underlying questions. Yes. Give me practical tips, but I also want to touch on a nerve of why this is going to be touching into something that's more overall kind of going to motivate you. All right, excellent. And I know a lot of your work and a lot of your writings have a strong focus and an inspiring message about following your dreams. Now, tell us where that came from. And I know that you have an interesting story about your family's upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something, you know, that, that can come across trite and, uh, and overused. But I really think it's the underlying element that's going to really give us that well-rounded passion and, and joy in life is about pursuing the things that you love because we always swing between these elements of of con conformity and authenticity and i think that's a constant struggle to try and navigate through both of those tensions but for me it has been this whole process of do i conform to you know what my family family's expectations are do i conform to what some of society's expectations or do i follow what I feel is authentic and, and passionate within me. So about doing that, it's just been my own journey, but then I came to a point where I just kept running into a lot of people who struggled with these same things and, and wanting to, uh, to make my journey a little more public in the hope of, of inspiring others. And so my family fled Vietnam when I was a few months old, a uh, crazy trip in the middle of the night, getting chased by the, the North Vietnamese uh, authorities and then having our engine blow out stranded running into Soviet Russian ship that gave a, the, the family water and, and food 
and then going through a literal storm at sea and my mum recalls hundreds packed like sardines on the ship, just praying, everyone praying to their God and finally we make it to a refugee camp in Indonesia but then from there getting accepted into Australia and then going through that process that I think we all go through is, is just trying to find meaning, identity and purpose and especially for us as entrepreneurs, how do we mesh that with the business side of things? How do we make an income from that? Um, but again, growing up, uh, that same struggle of authenticity and expectation, going through that uh, in Australia in high school and then leaving that and swinging more towards authenticity for the rest, for a lot of my life, uh, traveling and playing rugby in Canada, pursuing uh, a passion of cooking, going to culinary school, moving to Thailand and pursuing a career as a, a professional kickboxer. Uh, going to get an education in Texas uh, and then uh, launching out to start this this writing career and then now pursuing some more education. So the whole message that I'm, I'm trying to preach, I guess, I've tried to live myself um, also. Yeah, great. And that's definitely a diverse background. And one thing that you mentioned within giving us your background is that you wanted to make your journey public. And I think it's safe to say you've successfully done that. You've been featured in the Huffington Post, Entrepreneur.com, which are two of the biggest publications on the internet. How exactly did that come about? It was really a snowball effect, Brian, and, and the same advice that I give a lot of people coming to ask me is, is really just begin small. I remember some of the first sites I pitched to and reached out to. Gosh, there were tiny other blogs uh, with you know a few hundred followers but I, I noticed they took guest posts and, and and to start off with there's there's a huge psychological confidence element in that a lot of people would look at that and say what's what's the point and at that point it really isn't about getting yourself exposure yet it's about giving yourself confidence which I think is a major thing for a lot of people stepping out until you have that personal confidence of I'm able to to get on a different platform that's not my own, it's going to be difficult for you to start pitching to, to larger ones. So it's like working that that confidence muscle. So I tell people to start off with, look, don't worry now too much about exposure and traffic. What you need is personal confidence. So work on that. So I was just doing that for, for a good while and I was always looking to the next level, looking to the next level. Okay, this has got... 10,000 on, on Facebook, let's find the sites with 20,000, let's find them on 30,000 and just going up from there and at the same time, keeping track on the quality of your work, constantly taking inventory of, uh, of, of your standards and, and pushing that and, and so it was just this kind of organic snowball effect which, which is the same advice I really give to a lot of people. There's uh, there's always, yeah, there's always shortcuts and there's always ways to be efficient and they should be pursued, but always rest on daily turning up and doing the work, trying to improve each and every day. Great advice there. Now, a lot of people, like you said, it's a confidence thing and part of the confidence is having the confidence to actually pitch yourself and get over the fact, you know, a lot of people have imposter syndrome where they say, well, who am I to write for the Huffington Post? Who am I to write for Entrepreneur? How do you get over that and what exactly is the pitch process like? Absolutely and, and I think rejection therapy is a very effective therapy and and doing that almost with this element in mind that I'm, I'm 
probably going to get rejected, but I'm going to try again anyway. Have that psychological pre-commitment in your mind rather than set yourself up for disappointment every time and just stack all your chips into that notion of this has got to work out or else. I would just fall back on the fact that, hey, I've got my blog and, and this is another huge element. You need to find inherent value in your work, meaning that it's independent of of anything else. That's that's not to say that it's not dependent on bringing in an income. It's not dependent on, you know, those things are very important, getting exposure. But at the end of the day, you need to have inherent value in your work. So I would love writing regardless of, of if anyone saw that. So uh, as an entrepreneur, whatever field you're in, you need to find inherent worth and value in it or else it's not going to be sustainable. You're going to reach a point where where if you come home, lay down and feel absolutely crappy about the work you're doing, there's only a certain amount of time you keep that up for. So within the pitching process, even though I would constantly get rejected, you know, my value wasn't in whether they were going to validate my work at all. My, my joy and my value was in the fact that I got to write something that, that I found also meaningful. Um, but the pitch process for a lot of these sites, they'll have, um, I guess, a, a tab or a link where you can, you can fill it in and, and pitch that way. But most people would know that, they would get, I mean, Huffington Post get, get about 30,000 pitches a day. So I'm going to give the listeners today, I guess, uh, more of the strategic process to doing it. Uh, if you're trying to get on entrepreneur, and this is what I did to, for a lot of sites, is that I looked up their staff list, their editorial list, and a lot of the editors will have their, their email address on there. So rather than find their pitch page, find directly who their editor is in the vertical that you're trying to find. So you want to be a healthy living writer, look up their healthy living editors and just pitch directly to them. Don't go the, the general uh, route because I, I don't even think they look at a lot of those, uh, those pitches at all. But also I would add for, for anyone in any field, build your brand around your personality as well. Not just not just your product, but focus on your your personality. And this is this is common across writers, authors, blogs. People don't follow blogs; they follow bloggers. People don't follow the product; they follow the personality. Also, so when I'm pitching, I I would always put my my short bio at the start. A lot of people will leave that till the end, but. Look, millions of people can write a great article, but they're looking for personality, they're looking for voice, they're looking for a unique angle as well. So I would just put, hey, um, Ty's born in Vietnam, grew up in Australia, all of that short bias stuff. Would you, I'd really appreciate it if you looked at this article. So that's that's another important point, I think, is, is pitch yourself, not just your product also. Yeah, fantastic advice. I mean, one of the common themes throughout this 2015 IM Summit is all of our speakers have really talked about the importance of their personal brand, and especially your work on the internet. I mean, if you just Google your name, you'll see positivity and productivity and healthy advice for people and entrepreneurs alike. So you've definitely built your personal brand along that. And let's talk real quick about 
when you pitch someone, do you include just like kind of the, the topic of your pitch or do you include the actual written piece? Yeah, include the written piece in the body, not as an attachment. So just put the whole bio and then put your whole article just underneath. You want to make it as easy as possible for the person opening up the email. If, if they open it up, I mean, that's another process to have to click on the attachment and download that. And, and really, I mean, you're dealing with a matter of 10 seconds these days with people opening up emails and especially the, the amount that they usually get, which is why I say put your bio first. You know, give yourself in your mind, this person's probably going to look at best 10 seconds at this email. So you want to do a great headline, put your bio at, at the start and, and and that's going to force you to work on yourself. Like you're not going to put your bio first if, if you feel as though, if you feel as though you're boring, then I mean, chances are others reading are going to think you're boring as well. So put those first and just put it right in the body of the email. Make it as easy as possible for the person opening it. All right, great. Now, you've done some huge interviews in these posts that you've done for these websites. What's your favorite interview that you've done? It's probably been two people. My interactions with Noah Kagan and uh, the founder of Elo, Paul Budnitz. We just we chatted the other day, actually, and, and it was great just to know that that came from simply one article, that, that now I can interact with this, this guy that's stunned up three massively successful companies and, and with the LO boom recently and, and just the excitement about what's happening there. But yeah, those two, and Noah, just how down to earth he was, you know, that was only, we didn't really uh, chat at all. It was just all through email, but I could just sense a genuineness about, uh, about him and him giving me advice on what I was doing also. So let's talk about that because I know a lot of people are familiar with who Noah Kagan is and you're right, you can tell just through his email blasts, they all feel so personal. What sort of advice did yeah. he give you? I think it's, you know, for a lot of us, man, it's just constant reminders that we need and less so groundbreaking new info. And, and again, you know, there is great content that he gives in his emails, but it's just this reminder that to keep holding on to that sense of audacity and foolishness and never let the critical mind enter into it too much. I think so often we're our own worst enemy in reasoning ourselves out of something, but really thinking about, I mean, what's, what's the worst that could happen if, if you came out of that. And, and most, most entrepreneurs I think have a sense of, of, you know, we're, we're all a little risk averse in that we'll have, some sort of a safety net. I think it's completely foolish not to keep that in mind. But knowing that, knowing that we're not going to be thrown out on the street and be homeless by tomorrow if this doesn't go through should give you that sense of audacity. And I think especially with Noah and especially with Paul, it's this idea of, of firing first, then aiming second. You know, usually it's, it's ready, aim, fire. But what I see with these guys is, is it's this constant firing and then they'll readjust afterwards. It's that whole process of, of iteration. So it was really just, you know, get, get a basic element of validation for an idea, but execute, pretty much execute something on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic advice. And just to go along with that point, I mean, if people aren't familiar with Noah Kagan, he actually is famous for how to build a $1,000 business. I think it's in 30 days that he does that. 
and he's actually made videos online where he started, I think it was a frisbee business or a taco business. In one day, he got his first few sales. So you're right, fire first and then aim second is kind of a great message from guys like Noah. And I think the, the other thing with all of them, this is something just came to my mind, especially with Paul, is this idea that, you know, it takes it takes 10 years also to become an overnight success. But all of these guys have that that compound effect that's been ingrained into their life. And, and yes, that doesn't mean that you couldn't just jump out there and, and hit a great level of success. But I, especially for myself, like realizing that as corny as it sounds, it is going to be, a marathon, but the importance of that marathon is going to be on what you do daily. So, I mean, I would ask everyone listening uh, just to even look back at your last week and, and what are some of the activities that you've been consistent in for the last seven days. And if there isn't something that you've been consistent, whether it's in your, your health, in your diet, in your exercise, in your workload, if there isn't something consistent, that needs to become a priority because the compound effect is going to completely transformed the outcome and really shaped the trajectory of, of your life. So, um, gosh, habits, compound effect, uh, putting in the 10,000 hours is, is going to be crucial. That's fantastic advice, Ty. Now, you've kind of given your strategy for pitching different websites to get published on them. Let's talk about how on earth you land these interviews with such big names in the industry. Yeah, once you start getting the platform, use that platform because that's like advertising for these guys and, and just consider the amount that companies um, companies pay for advertising. So as soon as you start even getting on these mid-size uh, sites, start leveraging, leveraging that in, in different ways. So uh, these kind of interviews will give, you, will give you credibility and you're using one, cent, one form of credibility uh, to connect with another form of credibility and then that can just have a compounding effect in itself. So say you get on a mid-sized platform, start reaching out to different entrepreneurs saying, hey, I'd, I'd love to do an interview. And this is great for, I mean, your own personal satisfaction as well. Like you're getting to pick their brain as well and learn from them and you're going to give them some exposure. So, uh, hey, I'm writing for this site that has... 50,000 people following on, on Facebook. Uh, they, they get this many visits a month. So just a tiny bit about the website. I'd love to do an article about you on this topic. The tentative title is going to be this and then send like the questions to them. So, I, I mean, I was blown away that, that Mark Cuban sent a pretty quick response. But again, it's making it as easy as possible for these people, a lot of people will send an email saying, can I do an email or can I do an interview with you and wait for a response? That's going to take them the effort to then respond back to you. Then you've got to send them questions. Always ask yourself, how can I make this as efficient and easy as possible? So as soon as I started, as soon as I landed Mark Cuban on it, I knew I was going to get everyone else because I started putting on there. I'm writing this article. You'll be featured alongside. I've gotten responses from Mark Cuban, from you know Guy Kawasaki, and then it was just, and then they started forwarding it onto some of their friends who were wanting to get on it. And I actually had to cut it back down to uh, to 14 because I was getting way too many. 
and my editor at Entrepreneur, originally the article was, gosh, it was close to 2,000 words because they were given just massive great content and I was wanting to keep it. And he said, look, our articles usually run like a thousand words max. And so we had to trim down and some of them were getting annoyed that I was trimming down their answers. I'm like, sorry, man, I'm just, and it is on my back about it. But again, using, using credibility to leverage credibility, the same way you begin that pattern of pitching to different websites uh, once you get a little roll on, think of ways that you can you can capitalize on that. that that's got to constantly be at the forefront of your mind. Anytime you you make new ground, how are you going to use that ground to to plant more, to to cultivate more? So let's talk more about your exchange with Mark Cuban. How did you make that happen? If he was the domino that started it all, that was what did I do? I went online. I was like just looking for Mark Cuban's email. I just, I think I Googled Mark Cuban's email and a few came up and, uh, and I sent, sent it out to, I think three of his different emails and he sent back with his, with his Gmail account. And again, I just, I put the, the title, I am right for entrepreneur doing an article on uh, biggest failures and biggest lessons learned. Uh, would love if you'd answer these three questions. So try to make it as succinct as possible and you could tell he's a busy guy because he gave one sentence responses for everything. But yeah, you could see his little Gmail photo that that comes up on the email. Like far out. That's that's Mark Human. So, <laughs> so that's yeah, that that is incredible. And I mean, to even add it to be more incredible in that piece that you're you're talking about. That's one where you interviewed Guy Kawasaki, Barbara Corcoran, in addition to Mark Cuban, Noah Kagan. Gary Vaynerchuk, and I know all of these people are hard to get a hold of, maybe aside from Noah Kagan, who is famous for replying to every single email he receives. What sort of lessons did you learn from these 14 brilliant entrepreneurs? I think one major element, and again, it, it doesn't seem that practical, is this element of, of humility, but I think that's what's going to come together in that whole takes 10 years to become an overnight success is that along with building your, your personal confidence, part of your personal brand is, is ultimately again, in the person that you are, it's, it's crucial and humility is going to build in this element. It's going to be important for networking with people. And, and what I've noticed with all of them is, you know, that, that statement, no man is an Island, right? That, that we're all, connected to one one another in a way and we all need and rely on other people but the more humble you are the more attractive you're going to become and then the more attractive you are the more you're able to to network with other people to connect with the right people and i noticed with all of them is it's just a humility in in their approach to their work it was it was always this and and again in our conversation with paul budnitz from from ello he said entrepreneurial humility needs to be like the new buzzword. And I asked him, okay, so what does that look for you in work? And he says, every day I wake up and, and I go to work feeling like a beginner and that my business could crash and fall any minute. And that keeps me hustling, but it also keeps me learning more and it always keeps me open to new networks and, and new connections. So I think that's, 
that's been the greatest one is is waking up every day and, and I think Steve Jobs would wake up every day, look in the mirror and ask himself the question if um, what was it if this is if this is my last day or um, w- would I enjoy doing this or something along those lines. But again, this entrepreneurial humility, I think it seems almost counterintuitive to uh, the typical type A alpha dominant personality that we subscribe and, and, and apply to entrepreneurs. But, but I think, you know, it's these subtle things that end up making all the difference. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great message because how many times have you heard the phrase or the advice, fake it till you make it, and you see people acting much bigger than their shoes really are. So it's great advice, and we're seeing more and more entrepreneurs being more vulnerable and more transparent with their blogs and with their videos. So I think that's on topic, very relevant advice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, completely agree with you that, uh, yeah, there's, there's almost like this cultish... Uh, ideal for what an entrepreneur is and and i think it's just people are realizing like you know we're creating this facade that everyone's kind of racing towards and it's just going to make people really ticked off when they realize that that's not the reality yeah absolutely i mean it's it's easy to fall into the trap when we see guys like noah kagan having seven figure product launches online but it's it's merely because we don't see his failed launches so that's that's kind of why this stigma has been built up Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So a lot of your articles, aside from your interviews, also talk about mindset. And clearly you have a lot of interest within mindset as you're getting your advanced degree right now. Talk about the different mindset obstacles that you see entrepreneurs build up in their, their own heads and how we can overcome those. Sure. I, I think the greatest one, everyone, again, struggles with that imposter syndrome. And it's, you know, it's that psychological element, they call it, catastrophic thinking and psychology where, you know, you're driving down the street and you're doing everything fine and you see uh, a police in the a police car in the other lane and you freak out and, and think you've done something wrong and you're going to get arrested. Again, it's part of our uh, survival mechanism that we, we usually tend to the worst case scenario. Um, but realizing that, I mean, just having that mindfulness of it is, is the first step. And uh, I'm definitely a huge advocate of, of rejection therapy in that there are times that you almost chase the rejection just to realize it's, it's not that bad. And then there are other kind of psychosomatic mind-body uh, little exercises that you can do. And I'll give one simple one. Um, but you think through, you know, people talk a lot about positive affirmations and, and, and about these different elements, but words are really incredibly powerful in in changing our behavior and having just a a physical effect. I think Malcolm Gladwell talked about one study where they primed people with a word, just got them to read through a list of words. So they walked into a room, read a list of old themed words, so shuffleboard, Florida, golf, bingo, all that were associated with being old. And they walked out of the room slower than when they, walked into the room, it had a physical effect just from the words that they read. They did the same thing with rude-themed words and people ended up interrupting a setup that they had for them later on. So, again, like the, the words you use, what's running through your mind has a huge effect on your physical state. And Tony Robbins talks about 
that a lot incantations he goes i prefer the word incantations instead of affirmations because incantations includes your physiology he's always saying change your to change your overall state change your physiology get up and move around uh, but again it's that mind-body connection i think one of the things that cripples a lot of entrepreneurs is letting that internal dialogue just run rampant so uh, again that exercise i think cold shower therapy tying that in with that psychological mental dialogue so even when you're in the shower like just talking to yourself um but but as you're doing that tie that in with the physical change as well and so finishing your shower off uh with 10 20 seconds of absolute cold but what that's going to do is that's going to recreate an element of difficulty and persevering through difficulty so if you tell yourself that mentally, give yourself that affirmation, you know, I overcome all, all struggles, all difficulties, I persevere, I'm relentless, uh, I'm, I'm resilient, I've, I've got a ton of grit, and then turn on that cold water, that's just going to compound that effect. So now you have the physical element that you're actually enduring something difficult with the psychological affirmations and creating that as a habit really transfers into other areas of life. And so you're forcing yourself to, to run on. And the mind is so mysterious. I mean, psychologists struggle to, to figure out all the, the wirings and workings of it. But yeah, when that, you're doing that, you're ingraining that habit. When you eventually come to a real struggle, your body and your mind is already in autopilot from having done that, using this cold shower to represent the difficulty. Ty, that's very interesting. I've n actually never heard of cold shower therapy, as you say it, but I can definitely see how that works. I mean, having grown up playing soccer, it's exactly that, where as you're running onto the field saying, I'm unstoppable, no one's going to no one's gonna stop me from scoring today. I, so I've seen it in practice, and I think that's a great daily way to practice that. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's something that, again, I've seen with all of those entrepreneurs is, is this element of self-mastery that they that they're in control of the dialogue that they tell themselves, the story that they tell themselves. And that's, that's crucial for all of us is just to stop and think over the last few days, what have been the stories that are running through your mind? What have you been telling yourself? And once you master that, I mean, it, it, that's a domino effect in itself. Yeah, so we've talked about the imposter syndrome a couple of times. And one of the ways to overcome that imposter syndrome is really to to kind of, in English soccer, they say to put your medals on the table, to say, you know, here's my credibility, here's who I am. How can entrepreneurs build up that credibility? Obviously, you've done that through the likes of getting published and interviewing these visionaries across the different industries, but how can beginner entrepreneurs build credibility when they don't have a base to work from? I think it's about gaining people's trust in in your product and again in in who you are and a lot of that is going to be networking with the right people so credibility when you start off with as much as you're trying to build that for yourself through through whatever qualifications you're seeking trying to build a good product but again the more you can get that product out to people uh, through networking as well, that's going to build trust. And, and that's always been the best form of, of marketing is, is word of mouth. And that doesn't change for, for credibility either. When, when you're put on a platform, a large platform, that's like the people saying, okay, we trust what he's saying enough 
to put him here. And that was the big thing with being on, on entrepreneur. There, there, are, there was one article that was probably a little controversial that, that I sent them. And, you know, it was one of my earlier ones, but the, the editor said to me, like, you know, you realize that this is going to be put out in front of however million a day come to our, our site. So, you know, it's, it's more than just, just an article. It's got a lot of attachment to it. But again, so when you're, you're building your credibility, a lot of it comes from recognition from others, recognition from millions a day equals credibility. So how are you going to do that as best as you can in, in your context? And it's about how do I connect with people with a product that, that they're going to, you know, that's not going to, doesn't have to be the greatest at, at that point but that it shows that you've done the hard work as well. So I would say probably networking events would be crucial to start off with. The more that you can begin to tap into other people's platforms as well and get introduced to to everyone else, but having your own personal identity pretty clear, your own product and your own vision pretty clear that when you meet these people, you're able to express that in a succinct and, and confident way as well. Like, that's that's credibility in and of itself that you've researched and thought through your vision enough that you can present that with confidence. So again, we talked earlier about this element of personal confidence. I think that's huge just in, in credibility because it's confidence. I mean, genuine confidence doesn't just come from faking it till you make it. Genuine confidence comes from having a track record of success also. And, and no matter how small, I think we can all achieve an element a small level of success in whatever area you're in even if if it's today you can chase some sort of a success in today and that's going to give you confidence which you can transfer into uh, into better networking with people because they're going to see that as well so let's talk about networking a little more then what sort of networking events do you recommend for entrepreneurs of all sizes I think going on meetups.com was, was crucial. I was in San Francisco recently and anytime I'm in a city, I'll jump on meetups and look at, look at what events are, are on there and turning up to, um, to these physical in-person meetups. I went to one where, you know, they had um, the, the CEO of, of Couchsurfing and uh, gosh, I forgot the other CEO of... Uh, yeah, but but just connecting with them while I was there as as well. Having your business card on you, going up, having your your elevator pitch, you should be able to in in a minute or even in thirty seconds give a pretty succinct uh, introduction about who you are and, and what you do. So turning up to these in person ones, but also networking online and then. But when you reach out, I mean, think of a way that you could add value. Uh, to them, there are so many times, Brian, now being a writer for HuffPost and Entrepreneur, that I'll get pitches from companies constantly saying, hey, we'd love for you to review our product. <clears throat> we'd love for you to talk about our product. And, and it's just, and it makes me think about these these bigger guys like the Vaynerchuks and, and Cubans who probably get thousands a day having this. But it's just, I mean, it's this weird sense of, I guess entitlement, which ties back in with what Paul said about an entrepreneurial humility. But it's like, who are you, man? And, and you know, do I just spend all my time, 
you know, trying to promote other products. And, and I think Gary talks about that whole jab, 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 right hook. It's just about offering value. And it's the same thing. I mean, we, a lot of people in this field know, I mean, that's the same way you treat your, your email list. It's, it's a lot of giving. Gosh, it's probably what, like an eight to 10, eight to one ratio of giving before, before asking. And you should do that the same way with your networking, treat your networking relationships the same way that it needs to be a ratio of, of high giving before you even ask for something. Yeah. So when you reach out, think of what you can offer these people. Hey, I'm an entrepreneur in this field. <clears throat> I think there's, there's a lot that, um, that I can learn from you. Like, how can I support you? How can I help you? Do you have anything that you'd like for me to promote? And having a sense of genuine in, in genuineness in that, that if they don't, uh, if you don't get anything from them, appreciate that you were able to interact with them. Yeah. And how do you maintain those relationships even after the networking event or even after establishing an online relationship? I think it's been easy for me being a writer that I'm constantly looking for for different articles to write as well. So uh, a lot of them will have uh, a PR uh, or a personal assistant as well. And so usually I engage just as much as with them as I do with uh, the direct person that I'm trying to work with, but also letting them know, hey, if if, uh, if Paul has another product that he wants or, or another uh, project that he wants to promote in the future, hey, just drop me a line. So that's that's been huge, just keeping that, yeah, I mean, just being intentional about keeping that relationship open, but also doing so in the sense that you're always going to be the one that wants to offer some help. And, and with a lot of them, I really I haven't asked for for anything back uh, yet, but but I hope to keep that relationship going to the point that you know when I when I have something that that I can bank on, that's when I've already built what one at least a couple of years of a relationship of just writing about them. You know, it's it's seeing things as a marathon as well. That you know, there's there's strategy. I mean, there should be strategy behind everything that, that we do, but that doesn't mean manipulating or, or it doesn't mean that it's not genuine or, or organic. Um, but keeping this relationship with these relationships going for the possibility that, that I could ask for something in the future. All right, great. Now, part of being memorable as an entrepreneur is, or just as a person in general, is to tell great stories. Now, you've said it before that you're a little lucky because you are a writer for a living, but what are the elements of a great story and how can entrepreneurs use storytelling to make their themselves and their brands more memorable? Sure. Finding that that unique point as well. And, and if you look at a structure of a, a story, you know, the, the intro, the climax and, and, and the close, but there's, there's always some sort of a, a paradoxical or a unique uh, surprise. Um, the, the curiosity gap uh, they call it in, in storytelling. And, and I think that would be huge for that applies across like any field, like you're opening and closing a curiosity gap. So think about how that applies to your life. Like how do you open curiosity in someone's mind? Like, you know, that could be some, some catchy headline, uh, but basically you, you can pose a question, you know, how do you triple the size of your, email list how do you how do you triple your 
your income? How do you do this? So you're opening up a curiosity gap and closing that and just keeping that in mind whenever you're pitching or even when you're, when you're networking, like how do you open up a sense of uniqueness, open up a sense of curiosity in a person and then giving them an answer. And you may recall there was a famous uh, Xerox experiment. I think Harvard did it where someone would, would ask to cut in line to use a photocopy machine. And, and at one point they gave a completely, when they just asked and didn't give a reason, the rejection rate was really high. But when they started giving a reason, one was, I'm, I'm in a hurry, the compliance rate shot up. But at one point, the person trying to cut in just said, hey, can I cut in line to use the copier because I, I need to use the copier? It was a completely redundant reason, but the compliance rate was almost the same as telling them that they needed a rush. And basically, there's this element of psychology that we that they were opening and closing the curiosity gap and giving them a reason. Okay, why do you need to use the copier? Okay, you gave me a reason. Therefore, I will comply. Even if the reason was like a silly reason. But keeping that in mind, that's how we, we function. We, we're looking for answers and we're satisfied when we reach answers. So how are you going to tap into the question that this person in the industry would most likely ask? And if you ask that question for them, you're saying to them, I have knowledge that you don't, which is what a lot of successful businesses, products and companies are built off having the knowledge that someone doesn't. So if you can open up that curiosity gap and then close it by giving uh, a solid product, then then that's really going to uh, launch whatever it is you're doing. But that's a great thing to keep in mind. Whatever kind of story, I mean, we all use storytelling. We, we storytell in conversations. We storytell when we market. Uh, but I think that would be a huge element to, to ask yourself, how are you opening and closing that curiosity gap? Awesome, and I think that speaks volumes towards the marketing advice that's decades old, maybe centuries old, that says make sure you enter the conversation that's already happening in your prospects' minds, and that's exactly what, what you're talking about there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a second, because I think it ties in really nicely here, about your thoughts on Simon Sinek's concept of speaking to the why and how that factors in with building a personal brand and and resonating with customers yeah that and, and i mean that's that ancient and, and that's all i think nietzsche and, and victor frankel quoted nietzsche in his book man search of meaning you know, he was a why can bear anyhow and that's that's crucial i mean he he really tapped into that and popularized it and and it is an ancient notion that ultimately motivation our motivation for things ties in with with something that's that's meaningful and we talked about this earlier inherent meaning and inherent value inherent motivation for something but also tying that in with something external when i when i kind of engage with people who who seek out advice i ask them okay so what's your internal and external motivation for what you're doing so your internal again is that at the end of the day you would still find satisfaction in what it is that you're doing your external motivation is is who else is going to benefit from the work that you're doing. And typically the response is, I've recently just had a child. Uh, I recently got married. Uh, I want to buy my parents a home or pay off their debt. I want to help my brother or, or sister out. 
but getting people to think through that question, like inherent value and and external value, who is going to benefit from this work that you're doing? And it's really about kind of sticking more firewood underneath that fire of motivation, and that's that's a great way to do it. All right. So one thing that I'm really looking forward to exploring with you is your experiences with traveling. I mean, you've lived in Thailand, the U.S., South America. Obviously, you live in Australia now. How has traveling changed your perception of the world, and how has it impacted you as an entrepreneur? Oh, man. I've, you know, travel is one of those things where, <clears throat> yeah, every, everyone will always say, I think before I took my first trip, they said it's it's going to be in many ways better than getting uh, getting a, a degree. And uh, although I've, you know, I'm doing a, a master's degree at the moment, so I see huge value in pursuing education. But I think traveling, it, just even putting yourself in a in a new place, trying to learn a new language, I, I think it's helped in so many ways in entrepreneurship that it's, again, it's given me more confidence that I can navigate through an unknown place. And, and I think, human behavior and human knowledge, our experience is shaped so much by, by all of these different things. And again, you know, something as simple as having a cold shower, giving us the confidence to endure difficulty, being in a new place and navigating through that can be easily applied to entrepreneurship that uh, you don't realize it, but there's so much confidence that comes from that, that, I mean, subconsciously, you've done it before in in a travel setting. So why wouldn't you be able to do it in a in a business setting? And, and so I encourage everyone that I talk to is, is to travel as much and as widely as possible because those experiences all shape who you are and all come together into that holistic ten years to become an overnight success. Is is you're just trying to draw from every space and, and every experience to ultimately leverage in some way towards whatever your personal success looks like. So speaking to that, I mean, you've definitely diversified your experiences, not only through travel, but just through what you've done. So in your bio, I told people you've been a five-star chef, an international kickboxer, an author. What can entrepreneurs and people do to get outside their comfort zones? Because it's not always easy to do. Yeah, it is difficult, especially with... uh, with our hectic schedules as well. But I think a simple thing is, is, is just trying to, trying to learn a new skills, trying to learn something different on a daily basis. And, and it doesn't take much time. So even building your vocabulary is one exercise that I, I give to people, just trying to learn a new word each day and, 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 and stretching yourself in that way. Learning how to juggle is a simple one. Uh, at the moment, I'm actually trying to memorize a whole deck of, of cards after I came across the World Memory Championships. Have you ever heard of that, by the way? I haven't, but I'm sure you love Tim Ferriss. So tell us more. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's fascinating. So they've, they've got a whole bunch of different procedures for memorizing a, a deck of cards, and the world record holder can memorize 30 decks of cards in a ridiculous amount of time. Um, but again, this is all part of just challenges, challenging yourself with a new experience on a, on a daily basis and realizing the importance of that, that compound effect in your life, that if you can recreate success in a small area of your life, our lives are so interwoven and interconnected that it's going to have a domino effect onto a different area. And, and again, it's, 
it's so easy not to do, which is why people don't do it. But the effects are, are profound. So even within your busy schedule, trying to learn something new every single day in a small way, in a new way, learning a language, learning an instrument, uh, doing something like that, but making that a priority, uh, I think is, is huge. Awesome. And I think that goes back to the consistency that you mentioned earlier. What are you doing every single day to get closer to your goal? And, and learning, continuous learning, continuous improvement definitely helps us expand our boundaries. Absolutely. Completely. So let's talk about, because you've talked a few times about passion and how that relates to storytelling and how that relates to personal branding and how that relates to business. Entrepreneurs do a lot of things that they don't always like. I mean, some people don't like networking. Some people don't like client-based work. Some people don't like sales calls. How can people actually find their passion and, and be driven by that rather than just doing what society expects of us to do as entrepreneurs? Yeah, and I think there's an element of as much as you can trying to find balance in that, and, and that's another big thing that I've come across speaking with a lot of people is that there is an embrace of the mundane that needs to be made as much as as you follow after the things that you, you love doing. Uh, there's the media work that, that needs to be done and acceptance of that to start off with is is huge as well that uh, the way that you perceive it needs to be shifted that there are going to be days that I don't want to do this. There are going to be jobs that I really don't want to do, uh, but I have to do, but it's finding that balance, finding that ratio between the things that you're really passionate about uh, and, and realizing that, that there is going to be the grind and, and the hustle. But in finding your passion, I, I think again, asking people that what they're really unique at is always something that doesn't get much focus. People tend to put aside their uniqueness because we naturally are drawn more to conformity. We're naturally drawn to, and we want to be in community and that's a good thing. But often that comes with sacrificing your quirks and your nuances. So focusing on that, like what would set you apart? And, and again, that's how the human mind works. We're drawn to surprises. We're drawn to things that are different. So why not try and bank on that? And so just thinking through your own personality, like what would set you apart from the crowd? And, and, and that may come across as simple advice, but I think it's important and trying to bank on that because it ties in with building your personal brand and your personal brand needs to be something different from everything else that's out there. All right, great advice. You've been a wealth of knowledge, Ty. So I want to give you a second to make what I call a humble brag. Tell us what your favorite part about being an entrepreneur is. I think it's it's finding that balance between inherent value and, and external value, doing what I love, but working towards sort of having that recognized and, and not only just being able to, to make a living off that. And I'm definitely not where I, I want to be, but the fact that I'm, I'm headed in this direction, that's probably my, my favorite thing is that you're, you're kind of, I guess it's similar to, to being in the, the fighting, the boxing as well, which is why I was drawn to that, was at the end of the day, although I had my coaches and I had my training, like it, it came down to me and, and having that responsibility. And I think that's the biggest thing 
the, the responsibility at the end of the day is that you can't blame anyone else. Uh, you, you don't, and that's a good thing. You don't have the regret of that. Like people can get bitter when they blame someone else. But at the end of the day, like if, if I didn't, if I didn't achieve that, I've got to look at myself and, and that's, that's massively valuable. I think in being an entrepreneur is that you just have not a sense of control, but just a sense that you're, you're an active participant in your life. You're not reliant on, on your boss or, or, we're reliant on, on everyone else, but you're taking responsibility. You're, you're taking, taking ownership, I think, is, has been the most valuable part. Love it. Great advice, Ty. So this has been a pleasure and an honor, and it's been a very insightful session. We really appreciate your time today. Where can viewers learn more about you and follow your entrepreneurial journey? Uh, thank you for having me on, Brian, and, and just love what you're doing. And, and again, I started this journey because I was listening to, to podcasts and following different summits. And so I, I hope that this inspires some people out there uh, who are sitting on the edge and just need that last little push. Uh, but I'd love to connect with anyone. Just jump onto the utopianlife.com and on there you can find Facebook and, and my Twitter uh, handle on there. So we'd love to connect. All right, so theutopianlife.com is where you can find Ty. Also on Twitter at Ty Wins, which is a clever play on his last name. So it's T-H-A-I-W-I-N-S on Twitter. So Ty Wins. Ty, thanks again, and have a great day. Thank you, Brian. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Wantrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast with your host, Brian Lofermento. For show notes and to get a free copy of Brian's book, visit us online at thewantrepreneurshow.com.